0: you do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed.
1: I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington. And this week on Face the Nation, along with more access to vaccines and more money headed to people who need it most, comes more concern about Americans moving too quickly to get back to normal. With sunny states easing, or in some cases, dropping health restrictions completely, spring break 2021 is off to a busy start. That is for a country that's far from finished with COVID-19. According to the TSA, 1.3 million people flew on Friday, the highest day of travel since the pandemic began. President Biden's 100 million shots administered in 100 days challenge has been met in only 50. 11% of the adult population has been fully vaccinated, but with images like these, there's cause for concern.
2: This is not over. Conditions can change. We're not finished yet.
1: Because images like these are still coming in. The U.S. death toll is at over 534,000 and still rising. THE BIDEN ADMINISTRATION HAD ANOTHER FIRST 50-DAY ACCOMPLISHMENT LAST WEEK, PASSAGE OF THE AMERICAN RESCUE PLAN. THIS WEEK, THE CHALLENGE OF IMPLEMENTING IT BEGINS.
2: WE HAVE TO GET THIS RIGHT. WE HAVE TO CONTINUE TO BUILD CONFIDENCE IN THE AMERICAN PEOPLE THAT THEIR GOVERNMENT CAN FUNCTION FOR THEM AND DELIVER.
1: We'll check in with New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio and Arkansas Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson. Plus, there is good news about vaccine hesitancy among minorities. We'll talk with the chair of the COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force, Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith. Former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb will join us and we'll talk with Ireland's Prime Minister, Michal Martin. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning, and welcome to Face the Nation. President Biden's American Rescue Plan has been signed into law, and it is one of the largest stimulus bills in American history. Its impact, particularly on low-income Americans, could be significant. Traditional political party lines could also be altered. Make no mistake, Democrats support and Republicans oppose the overall package, but— Some provisions in the new law are longtime priorities of conservatives. We begin this morning with senior national correspondent Mark Strassman.
2: For the first time in a long time, this bill puts working people in this nation first. President Biden will spend this week selling his new deal for COVID America. After a year defined by loss, the American Rescue Plan becomes Washington's nearly $2 trillion lifeline. Potentially transformative, how it expands the social safety net. Two pandemic unemployment programs will extend into September and add up to an extra $300 a week in benefits. Multi-billion dollar hikes in housing aid, food stamps, and Obamacare subsidies. $50 billion for small business relief. And $350 billion in aid to state and local governments, radioactive to many conservatives as a bailout for Blue America. Despite broad public support, not one Republican in Congress voted for the package. It was a multi 1000000000000 dollars Trojan horse full of bad old liberal ideas. Financially, this stimulus bill will also be a booster shot to the middle class and the poor, a much more generous child tax credit, and for millions of people, $1,400 in direct payments that start going out this weekend. Under the new temporary child tax credit, income eligible families will get up to $3,600 for each child under six, and up to $3,000 for older children under 18. Partial benefits could roll out as soon as this July. Roughly 280 million Americans will qualify for Washington's third round of stimulus checks, including Lyft driver Marquise Rhodes in Atlanta. Business is better, but last year his family barely dodged eviction. His family qualifies for $4,200 in aid. That will buy peace of mind. I'm not out of the woods, but it
3: gives me a small cushion to say, okay, if something does happen, I at least have this to kind of fall back
2: on. For millions of Americans, it's also help finding hope, another casualty of this pandemic.
1: Mark Strassman reporting from Atlanta. Our new CBS News poll out this morning shows that Americans do have hope and optimism about the coming months. A record high, 64% of those surveyed think efforts to contain the coronavirus are going well. The majority gives President Biden credit for how things are going, with over two-thirds saying he's doing a good job of handling both the outbreak and vaccine distribution. We go now to Elections and Survey's director, Anthony Salvanto for Insight. Good morning to you, Anthony. What is driving these numbers?
4: Good morning, Margaret. There's two key drivers behind this optimism, economic outlook and vaccine outlook, and they're linked. Let me start by talking about the economy. First, because people think that the outbreak is going to get better over the coming months, that's 63% who think so, That means, for them, they can go out and start doing more of the things that they want to do, gathering with family and friends, traveling, going to restaurants and bars more, even shopping. So, that's pent-up demand. That's spending. That could fuel the economy. And so that, in turn, boosts optimism about businesses reopening safely about the job market in their area, the stock market, they tell us, as well as overall optimism about the national economy. So it's as people are looking forward to doing more of those things, maybe spending more money that could fuel that economic optimism, Margaret.
1: Anthony, President Biden will be out on the trail talking up this $2 trillion relief package he just signed. This was really passed just on a party line vote. I'm wondering what you're seeing in terms of public perception of it
4: right that bill is extremely popular it has been all throughout 74% approval now one interesting thing margaret is you don't get those big approval numbers without across the board at least some support from all partisan corners so democrats overwhelming and overwhelmingly in favor republicans even half of them even though as you mentioned it did pass on that party line vote in congress and independents in favor as well now why is that first of all it hits their pocketbook. People th- tell us that they think this bill is going to help them personally. That's always important, as well as, of course, the national economy. And there's another component to this, too, in that they think it is going to help working-class and lower-income people, who, of course, tell us they've been so hard hit by the pandemic, even more so than the wealthy, always associated with high approval numbers for something like that coming out of Washington, market.
1: Popularity explains why the president's going to be on the trail, taking credit for it, of course, Anthony. Um, But I wonder, how persuasive is he in, in convincing people to actually be willing to take the vaccine?
4: Well, this is that second key component, Margaret. We are seeing the trend line in willingness to get the vaccine going up. It's been going up over recent months and weeks. So you've got a majority now saying, if they haven't gotten it already, that, yes, they will get it. But there are still some who are hesitant, some on the fence with maybe, and some outright no. And one of the key things we're seeing here, Margaret, is that that is related to partisanship. You've got Democrats saying that they'll get it. You've got most independents. But there is that more reluctant reluctance relatively among Republicans, and in particular, younger Republicans under 65. So as they become eligible to get the vaccine, we're really going to have to watch whether they change their minds on it. We asked them why they're still hesitant. They say, well, it's still untested. Well, they're worried about the side effects. Some don't trust the government or don't trust the science on it. So that's something we really want to watch, even though, I should add, we also asked, and a majority of Americans give the Trump administration at least some credit for spurring that vaccine development. And here's where it all ties back to the economy, too. When people say, when are they going to feel comfortable venturing out, going out, spending more, it's when most in their community are vaccinated and when cases get even more rare. So it's that hesitancy we're going to have to watch to see if then that economic outlook comes together, Margaret.
1: So goes the virus. So goes the economy. Thank you very much, Anthony Salvanto. A year into the COVID-19 pandemic, New York City has the highest per capita death rate in the country, higher than any state in the U.S. Joining us now is Mayor Bill de Blasio. Good morning to you, Mr. Mayor.
5: Good morning, Margaret. How are you doing? Uh,
1: I'm I'm doing well, uh, and I want to ask you about what's happening in your city right now because we had Dr. Fauci on this program last Sunday, and he said he's very concerned about this new variant that's circulating in New York because it has shown some resistance to antibody treatments and to the vaccine. What is your health department telling you about who's getting sick and where are they?
5: Margaret, our health team is really hopeful at this point. We're, we're vigilant about the variants. We don't take them lightly, but I gotta tell you, we've now had 2.8 million vaccinations in New York City to date. That's more than the entire population of Chicago. The vaccination effort's moving very rapidly. We need a hell of a lot more supply, but it's moving. Hesitancy level's going down. So I'm really hopeful that we are going to stay one step ahead of the variants. So far, our health team says, in fact, The vaccine is effective against the variants we've seen, but I'll tell you, people should not let the guard down until this battle's over, keep wearing the mask, keep practicing the social distancing, and let's not get ahead of ourselves. We've got a pandemic to overcome here. We all have to do it together.
1: Are people who were infected last spring getting reinfected?
5: We've not seen a lot of reinfection, uh, Margaret. It's something our health team has studied carefully. We know that the science regarding COVID is still imperfect. But I'll tell you, the answer is just to maximize the pace of vaccination. In New York City today, Mm -hmm. we could be doing over half a million vaccinations a week if we had more supply. The federal government directly provides you supply. supply.
1: Is the Biden administration not giving you enough?
5: I think the Biden administration is doing an amazing job. I think it's been one of the greatest weeks in presidential history, honestly, what Joe Biden has pulled off. No, part of our problem is the state of New York. We don't get our fair share of vaccine for this city. We're vaccinating people not just from the city, uh, but also from the suburbs surrounding state. We need our fair share, but we don't have enough control of our own destiny in this city and in cities around the country. This is something that has to be better going forward if we're really going to reach everyone who needs the vaccine.
1: I want to ask you what you do have control of within your city. You detected the first uh, COVID-19 case March 1st of last year. You waited until the 15th to shut down bars and restaurants, gyms and schools. And in fact, you tweeted yourself on March 15th telling people to go out and get that one last drink at the bar. Why do you think you were so late in understanding the threat?
5: Margaret, I'll tell you something. Uh, This is the anniversary of our first death, March 14th. We're doing a memorial tonight to remember everyone we lost and to keep their memories close in this city. But I'll tell you something. I was one of the first in America to shut schools, one of the first in America to shut bars and restaurants. And I called for shelter in place. One of the first. And unfortunately, my state government wouldn't agree to it.
1: In fact, well, Governor the,
5: Cuomo said shelter in place would that be imprisoning workers. That is New Yorkers, true. That is true. You, you, had,
1: you had that dispute very publicly with the governor. But on the other coast, San Francisco's mayor, back on February the 25th, declared an emergency in her city before there was a single infection. We were looking at Italy, plenty of people sick there. Uh, the writing was on the wall, at least for her. Why didn't you see it?
5: Margaret, as I said, we closed schools on the 15th, we closed bars and restaurants, tried to move shelter in place, but I'll tell you something. We were trying to make sure that we were working on the best health evidence while also protecting our children who needed to be in school. And this is something I've really focused on as things have gotten better, keeping our schools open and bringing our schools back strong in September. This is the kind of thing we can now do with the stimulus money, thank God. But do you feel responsible for that? Because the former
1: CDC director, Tom Friedan, has said that if you'd acted a week earlier, you could have saved 50 to 80% people.
5: Uh, That's just not accurate. The fact is, the thing that would have been great, the thing that would have been powerful is shelter in place. When I called for it, Governor Cuomo wouldn't do it. Again, Mm -hmm. he said it would be, quote unquote, imprisoning New Yorkers. I mean, that's just outrageous. We had an opportunity. That was the missed opportunity. If I had had local control, we would have done shelter-in-place.
1: And I know you want more of that local control. uh, As the governor is politically embattled right now, you were one of the first Democrats in New York to call for Andrew Cuomo to resign. Do you actually think he will do that?
5: I think he'll try to hold out, Margaret. Uh, I think he is used to getting things his way, and and it's been almost an imperial governorship. But I got to tell you, uh, THE FOLKS IN THIS STATE AND THE POLITICAL LEADERSHIP DON'T BELIEVE HIM ANYMORE. It, HE DOESN'T HAVE ANY CREDIBILITY. SO I THINK AN IMPEACHMENT PROCEEDING WILL BEGIN. AND I THINK HE WILL BE IMPEACHED. AND PERHAPS RIGHT BEFORE THAT, HE WILL DECIDE TO RESIGN. THAT'S PROBABLY THE MOST LIKELY OUTCOME RIGHT NOW. BUT I'VE GOT TO TELL YOU SOMETHING. HE SHOULD RESIGN RIGHT NOW BECAUSE HE'S HOLDING UP OUR EFFORT TO FIGHT COVID. He's literally in the way of us saving lives right now.
1: Do you believe that he and his administration deliberately tried to cover up the scale of nursing home deaths?
5: I don't have a doubt in my mind. Uh, Everything was about his public image. Everything was about his political future. It was not about what people needed. And by the way, it was about campaign contributions. The nursing home industry, the, the big hospital systems, they gave him millions and millions of dollars. And he went easy on him, and he tried to cover up for everyone, not just him, but his donors. And I think the investigations are going to prove this, Margaret. This was a thoroughly corrupt situation, and he just needs to resign so we can actually turn the page. Mm-hmm. And, and look, it's an optimistic time, as you started out this morning. It's an optimistic time. we got to put the past behind us. Well, and Andrew Cuomo can't lead us into the future. Well, we've we've got the people of the state ready to reopen, but we need to get him out of the way to do it.
1: I want to know about your future. Are you going to run for governor in 2022?
5: I'm, I'm focused right now on fighting COVID and reopening our schools and bringing the city back. That's my focus.
1: That's not a no, sir. <laughs>
5: Look, I'm not worried about the future right now. We're in the middle of a war right here, and we're winning that war. Let me tell you, New York City is going to come back. It's going to be a recovery for all of us, a recovery that really includes every neighborhood, people everywhere. We had the most folks ride our subway last Thursday than we had since the pandemic began. The city is coming back strong. But I'm going to make sure that everyone is brought along in this recovery.
1: Before I let you go, I have to ask you about this really troubling spike in hate crimes in New York City. It's, it's the city with the most significant spike in crimes against Asian Americans. You have a hate crimes unit. How's this happening? Why weren't you better prepared for this?
5: Well, we created a hate crimes unit that's very strong in the NYPD, and we've been doing education and outreach. And actually, in most areas, thank you God, need to do more. Margaret, hate crimes did go down. Except with Asian Americans, it's been horrendous and disgusting. So, what we're doing, we have a, a task force made up of Asian American police officers out in communities, finding the people who did it, making sure there's consequences, mm-hmm. and st- holding the community close. I'd say this to all yeah. Americans: stand up for Asian Americans. Stop okay. Asian hate. We've got to do this together.
1: Mayor, thank you for your time. Despite demand for the vaccine outstripping supply nationally, Arkansas is one state that's expanding eligibility in order to use their supply. Governor Asa Hutchinson joins us from Little Rock this morning. Good morning to you, Governor. Before I get to COVID, I want to quickly ask you about politics. Uh, Your partner, Andrew Cuomo, Governor of New York, uh, co-head of the National Governors Association, should he resign from his position?
3: I'm going to, first of all, it's very important to take any allegations by uh, the women who've come forward uh, seriously. Uh, they have credibility. They need to be heard. Uh, I understand there's an investigation by the Attorney General. That should proceed. Uh, beyond that, uh, you know, he's a, 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 the chairman of the NGA right now, selected by the Democrats, and so that's within their bailiwick to uh, deal with that issue and the people of New York.
1: All right governor um let me ask you what's happening in your state uh our cbs polling as you heard at the top of the show is is reflecting a real partisan de- divide in terms of willingness to get the vaccine young republicans in particular are resistant to it are you seeing that problem and how are you combating it
3: uh, we are seeing that problem and the, the poll numbers are troubling because uh, in Arkansas it's a very pro-Trump state in terms of the last election Uh, and and so uh, we see that resistance uh, whenever we are opening up eligibility uh, for the vaccine we're moving through it very quickly because we're not having everybody sign up to take it what we're doing to address it is having influencers we need to broaden that to help shape the thinking But as more and more people get the vaccine, they see it's a way to get back to more normal life. Uh, They're excited about it, they're optimistic. So I see those numbers changing. Sometimes uh, someone will not take the uh, vaccine saying, I just wanna wait a little bit longer to make sure everything's okay. Uh, We're encouraging them not to do that. When it's your turn, take the vaccine. But at the same time, we're gonna move through the eligibility and then we're gonna have to come back and catch up because we'll Mm -hmm. probably be at a 50% rate. We need to get up to 70 to 80% acceptance rate to increase the uh, uh, immunization of the vaccine.
1: Given that problem, why would you consider lifting the mask mandate at the end of the month?
3: Well, because we need to continue to wear a mask, socially distance until we get the vaccine Uh, widely accepted, but you can do that two ways. One is by a mandate, or you can do it by public common sense. And so I didn't want to have a uh, jump off the bridge in one moment, so we have a ramp uh, in which uh, we want to see what our testing, our our cases look like, our hospitalizations, positivity rate look like toward the end of the month, and we'll make a decision whether we can lift the mask mandate and turn it into guidance uh, and common sense, as we said. I think the time in this pandemic for heavy handed restrictions and -hmm. and mandates are going by the wayside so people can make good judgments. uh, And we expect that to happen even after March 31st if the uh, mask mandate is lifted.
1: Your state's going to get $4 billion from this American Rescue Plan. Many of your constituents are going to take home these $1,400 checks and thousands of dollars in tax credit. Uh, Isn't this good for your state?
3: Well, there's many good parts of the bill and that's important to remember. There's rental assistance there for people who need it. There's food assistance in there. Uh, There's also uh, money in there for arts, uh, humanities, Uh, really across the board, there's increase in spending. Some of the most important elements of it would be uh, trying to recover the lost learning in our schools uh, over this last pandemic year. I think we've done better because we didn't close our schools, but uh, there's still lost learning we gotta make up for. So there's great investments in there. Uh, Knowing your previous guest, you talked about uh, why the Republican opposition, well, it's just simply too large. And for a state like Arkansas, uh, we're gonna be getting more money than we had in the last CARES Act funding. We have a balanced budget, we have a surplus And uh, the challenging thing is that while there's so many good things in this bill, they've given us a double whammy uh, by saying, first of all, we're going to distribute the money to the states, not based upon population, Mm -hmm. but based upon your unemployment rates. That costs $390 million. And then uh, another one is that they've said that you cannot have tax cuts and take this money. Well, we were planning on giving... Uh, reducing the sales tax on used cars, that is low income and middle income, and now we're worried about whether mm-hmm. that's gonna be prohibited under this bill, and the language seems to indicate it is. So while there's many good things about it, it's too large, and yep. we gotta make sure the states have flexibility.
1: You were a former Homeland Security official in the Bush administration. At the U.S. border right now, there are thousands of unaccompanied children in U.S. custody does the U.S. need to send them back or keep them here as the Biden administration is doing?
3: Well, you've got to have a stricter border policy. Or those It's going to be a humanitarian crisis that will continue okay. throughout this year. Unaccompanied minors is a risk to themselves, their families. So you've got to okay. have uh, a tougher policy so we can repatriate them, but care for them. Uh, as they seek uh, asylum or or the help that they need. All
1: right, we've got to leave it there, sir. Coming up next, our conversation with COVID-19 Health Equity Chair, Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith. Don't go away. Coming up on Face the Nation. Stay with us.
6: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you.
1: We learned early on in this pandemic that the coronavirus disproportionately affects communities of color. Saturday, we spoke with Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith, the chair of the COVID-19 Health Equity Task Force, about how the Biden administration plans to tackle the problem of racial health disparity. Doctor, our new CBS News poll shows uh, that vaccine hesitancy has actually ebbed among uh, racial minorities, and that started about mid-January, We are now seeing that black Americans are as likely as white Americans to say that they're willing to get vaccinated. Are you also seeing that shift?
7: yes this is great news we see vaccine confidence growing in all groups across the country Uh, and so now the work is to make sure that people can connect with with vaccine when they're eligible but it is very promising I'm, i'm hearing the same thing that confidence is high we are at a great moment we have three vaccines authorized in the united states for emergency use and people are getting more eager to get connected with those
1: so is vaccine hesitancy no longer an issue
7: you know, we absolutely have to meet people where they are, whether we are talking about uh, vaccine confidence or uh, really engagement with health care more broadly. You know, there are institutions, unfortunately, when we think uh, of our history, both in terms of health care, um, even at times the federal government, that have actively earned distrust in many communities, including communities of color. The reality is that the process has been data driven, grounded in science, uh, thoroughly and rigorously reviewed by independent scientists. We've had diverse scientists at every step of the way. And also, who was involved in the clinical trials? I'm so grateful to the scientists and the clinical trial participants. You know, over 30% of them identify as diverse. So these are some of the key bits of information that trusted messengers across the country are getting out. I think it's making a huge difference. We're starting to see those shifts, as you mentioned, in vaccine confidence.
1: So, one of the areas where we are still seeing uh, hesitation is, uh, according to our CBS News poll, it is among partisan lines. Uh, in fact, unwillingness to get the vaccine is higher among Republicans, specifically younger Republicans. I'm wondering what your plan is to reach them.
7: I think one of the the other tragedies of uh, the pandemic has been how it has been so politicized you where we see kind of the politicization of just basic public health practice um wearing masks which we know works and we're asking americans to do for a bit longer Um, but we are hopeful and we know that the vaccine is just a clear path to getting to the other side of this pandemic so we recognize that uh, we have kind of unique messages uh, for different groups, that's so important.
1: But but how do you persuade people who uh, aren't supporters of the president? Are you going to launch public service ads here, reaching out to celebrities who may appeal to these constituents? I mean, what is the way in?
7: we are absolutely aware of the need to reach out and reach across that is a core principle of this administration uh, we want to make sure we are meeting everybody where they are and to your point we're getting ready to launch that national public education campaign we'll work closely with trusted messengers influencers and others to get to everyone whether the hesitancy is is based in uh in when political will that be? or anything else uh, SO WE ARE ON THE CUSP OF LAUNCHING THAT NATIONAL PUBLIC EDUCATION CAMPAIGN um, TIMED REALLY APPROPRIATELY WITH THAT INCREASED SUPPLY IN VACCINE THAT WE SEE COMING RIGHT DOWN THE PIKE.
1: THE ADMINISTRATION IS NOW GOING TO BE DIRECTLY SUPPLYING VACCINE DOSES INTO COMMUNITY HEALTH CENTERS. WHAT IS BYPASSING THE GOVERNORS AND GOING DIRECT TO THESE CENTERS ACCOMPLISH?
7: So, you know, I always say equity is a team sport. We're going to continue to work so closely and collaboratively with state and local leaders as we have been uh, this entire time. And there are several federal programs that directly supply uh, vaccine, and um, and all of those have been designed with, with equity in mind from the beginning, and that includes the community vaccination centers, uh, those mass vaccination sites. And we have located those in those areas that are hardest hit using best practices. TO MAKE SURE PEOPLE CAN ACTUALLY OVERCOME MANY OF THOSE STRUCTURAL BARRIERS TO GET REGISTERED AND GET VACCINATED, AS WELL AS THE RETAIL PHARMACY PROGRAM.
1: SO WHAT IS THE THOUGHT BEHIND MAKING DOSES AVAILABLE TO DENTISTS AND PODIATRISTS AND VETERINARIANS, NEW PROVIDERS HERE? IS THE IDEA THAT YOU, YOU KNOW, GO IN FOR YOUR TEETH TO BE CLEANED AND YOU GET A SHOT IN THE ARM WITH THE COVID VACCINE?
7: so we're very excited to have also announced this week um, expanding who can vaccinate you know it's so important the the core of this work is making sure there's more vaccine and we have pushed on that you know making sure that there are more vaccination sites and venues Um, all the people you mentioned will be able to vaccinate uh, and we encourage them all to go to phe.gov and sign up see what your state needs and where your state needs you and so the idea is that these VACCINATORS WILL BE ABLE TO PLUG INTO A LOT OF THESE EXISTING VACCINATION VENUES AND GIVE VACCINATION THERE.
1: I KNOW YOU'VE TALKED A LOT ABOUT THIS AND YOU'VE SAID A PERSON'S ZIP CODE IS A STRONGER DRIVER OF HEALTH THAN THEIR GENETIC CODE. Um, TELL ME WHAT YOU'RE DOING. To actually get better data because we know the CDC has reported that race and ethnicity is only available to them for about 53 percent of all the people who've been vaccinated. So they've only got a partial snapshot of what this country is actually doing. So why can't the federal government get a handle on it?
7: Yeah, this is a key priority. We need better data to know where to target resources. Uh, We are working very closely, again, with both providers as well as state and local health officials. We've already seen uh, great partnerships in that space, um, and we're seeing the the completeness of our data increase. The equity metric toolkit uh, is growing.
1: So how do you actually measure whether what you're doing is successful or not?
7: So we, again, will keep pushing to get better, more complete uh, data around variables that are important and relevant, like race and ethnicity. Um, and alongside that, we have been using other equity metrics. And so things like social vulnerability and zip code. And we can do those analyses now uh, to keep track. And but we have the already president mandate that? I, I, I think our first step in this process has been to work very collaboratively with, uh, with states and locals. We're working to overcome any challenges that might exist in terms of just data systems and infrastructure.
1: If you look at the U.S. border right now, there are about 8,000 unaccompanied migrant children in the custody of Health and Human Services, and COVID distancing policies have been lifted inside. Uh, OF THOSE FEDERAL FACILITIES, JUST BECAUSE THERE ARE SO MANY KIDS THERE. ARE YOU CONCERNED THAT THIS IS A REAL HEALTH RISK?
7: WE DEFINITELY ARE uh, CONCERNED SO MUCH FOR THE CHILDREN WHO ARE THERE AT THE BORDER FOR SO MANY REASONS, INCLUDING HEALTH. Uh, AND SO THIS IS ABSOLUTELY SOMETHING THAT AS A RESPONSE TEAM WE'RE FOCUSED ON AND THINKING about.
1: So the governor of Texas has said that some of these undocumented migrants who are crossing into his state are spreading the virus. Have you seen any evidence to support that?
7: You know, I have not seen any evidence to, to, support, to support that at all. I mean, I, I think that it's very important for us, you know, again, as we talk about our goal to vaccinate an entire nation, that we not divide ourselves in this process. You know, it's key. Vaccinations are free. We need to make them easy and convenient, and we need to make sure everyone knows that regardless of documentation status or anything else, quite frankly, that you are eligible uh, for vaccination here.
1: All right, Dr. Nunez Smith. Thank you very much for your time today. Oh, thank you so much. You can see more of our interview on facenation.com. We'll be right back.
6: <sighs> That's not just the sound of that first sip of morning joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. <laughs> Mm, mm, mm. visit carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be convenient comfortable Ah.
1: we go now to former fda commissioner dr scott gottlieb he sits on the board of pfizer as well as Illumina, and he joins us from westport connecticut good morning to you Uh, So, Dr. Gottlieb, I want to ask you about uh, the mayor of New York um, who appeared to be disagreeing with Dr. Fauci because Dr. Fauci said these new variants that they're tracking in New York City are showing resistance uh, to therapies and to the vaccines. The mayor of New York said his health department said that the vaccine works. And in fact, he said, we're not seeing reinfection of people who've had it previously. What's going on in New York?
8: Yeah, the trends in New York look concerning right now. If you look at other parts of the country where B one one seven, that variant from the United Kingdom that we've been watching, is becoming very prevalent. So Florida, where it's about 50% of infections, Texas, it's about 40% of infections. You're not really seeing an upsurge in infections. You're seeing perhaps a plateauing, but you're not seeing this sort of fourth wave that we feared, even as B-117 starts to take over. In New York City, um, as 1526, that new New York variant and B-117 start to become more prevalent, you are seeing a backup in cases. You're seeing a plateauing. Hospitalizations um, are still declining slowly, but it's kind of plateaued. New cases are about 3,000 a day. The positivity rate's about 6%. It's been that way for a couple of weeks now, and so you're seeing sort of a backup in New York that you're not seeing in other parts of the country. So there are some concerning trends. Now, with respect to that new variant, that New York variant, 1526, we are concerned about that. Right now, of the samples being sequenced that have what we call this S-gene dropout. So they're samples that we're sequencing because we know they're variants. About 40% of them are this 1526, and New York is really the only place in the country right now that we know of where it's 1526 is that much of the infection. And about half of those cases, so half of the cases of 1526, have the same mutation that's in the South African variant, this 484k mutation that could make the virus more impervious to our vaccines. So it is a concern. We also are seeing with the 1351, the South African variant, with this same 484k mutation, we're seeing people get reinfected. And so whether or not that's starting to happen in New York and that explains these trends, we don't know yet. It's still Mm -hmm. early. But there's a lot of reasons to be concerned about the trends in New York City.
1: From your perspective, is it too soon then for the mayor to be telling people to go back to the office in May, to be telling high schoolers to go back to school in person as soon as next week, to be going back to higher capacity seating in restaurants?
8: Look, I think we're going to know in the next two weeks where the trends are heading in New York City. It's hard to know for sure which way we're going to head. But right now, the data in New York looks more concerning than other parts of the country. Um, There's other parts of the country that have opened up liberally, have a lot of B117, and aren't seeing the same trajectory that New York is. Now, it may just be a a backup and we continue with the declines in New York like we're seeing in other parts of the country in the next two weeks. Or it may be the start of an upswing. We don't know. I think the next two weeks are really going to be a critical period. I would be cautious in New York um, because if 1526 is partially explaining what's going on in New York City, that could be really concerning. There's, there's ways to explain what's happening in New York that aren't as concerning, that mean, you know, this is just sort of a temporary blip and we'll continue mm-hmm. on the declines. And then there's ways to explain it that would cause a lot of concerns, including that 1526 20, mutation.
1: So one of the hedges at the end of President Biden's very hopeful speech about COVID was these new variants. He said, we're watching them. Um, but he did put that July 4th date on the calendar uh, for gathering. IS THAT A REALISTIC TIMELINE?
8: I THINK IT IS. I THINK MOST OF THE COUNTRY IS GOING TO LOOK MUCH BETTER WELL BEFORE THAT. Um, I THINK YOU'RE SEEING CASES DECLINE ALL AROUND THE NATION, EVEN IN PARTS OF THE COUNTRY WHERE 117, THAT U.K. VARIANT IS BECOMING VERY PREVALENT you're still seeing continued declines, albeit more slowly. I think the combination of a lot of prior infection and the fact that we're vaccinating aggressively now is enough to keep up with that and hopefully get ahead of it. So I think as we get into April, the situation around the country is going to look markedly better. But there will be pockets of outbreaks, and there will be pockets where some of these variants become more prevalent that could look bad, even though the rest of the nation is going to look very good. And, And New York is one of those parts of the country right now that if you look at New York, there's you know, some concerning trends there, even while the other parts of the country are improving, New York does seem to be plateauing. So I think overall, the trajectory for the nation continues to look good.
1: You've been saying watch Europe as an indicator of what may be happening here. Uh, Europe's going pretty slow on their vaccinations. Um, Italy is looking at a lockdown over, over Easter because of what they're seeing. Should we anticipate that's what's going to happen here?
8: Yeah, through this whole pandemic, we've been about maybe three, four weeks behind Europe. So we've used Europe as a barometer of what's gonna happen in the United States. I think the tables have turned and I think we're ahead of Europe because we're vaccinating so much more aggressively. Eastern Europe looks very bad right now. Italy looks bad. But I think the UK is, in, the US is in a much different situation uh, through a combination of the fact that we have a lot of prior infection, so there's immunity in the population from prior infection, and we've now vaccinated 25% of adults. We're vaccinating probably about 1.5 to 2 million new people a day. Um, we've vaccinated about 65% of those above the age of 65. About 75%, almost 75% this week of those above the age of 75. And we're seeing the the, the benefits of that. A 96% reduction in nursing homes where we've had very good penetration with the vaccine. So I think we're in a different situation than Europe because of the vaccine-induced immunity that we're getting into the population.
1: Pfizer, where you serve on the board, their CEO said this week that he's seen the vaccine blocks 94% of asymptomatic infections. Is that the final word showing that if you're vaccinated, you cannot spread the virus?
8: It's an important data point, I and mean, this comes out of real-world evidence from Israel. And all of the evidence across all the vaccines now is pointing in the direction that these vaccines reduce asymptomatic infection and reduce transmission. Um, we've always believed that they're having that effect. We didn't know the full magnitude of that benefit but all of the incremental uh, evidence coming out suggests that the impact on the reduction in transmission could be quite strong. And if that's the case, the vaccine creates what we call dead end hosts, a lot of dead end hosts, meaning people will no longer be able to transmit the infection. And just like you get exponential spread on the way up in an epidemic, if you can get a whole bunch of immunity in people where they can no longer spread the infection, that has a compounding effect on reducing the scope of the epidemic. So if in fact this vaccine has a substantial impact on reducing transmission. It's gonna become a very important public health tool in controlling the epidemic.
1: All right, Dr. Gottlieb, thank you for your analysis. Last year, Ireland's prime minister did travel to Washington just before St. Patrick's Day, but the formal celebration was canceled due to the pandemic. This year, that meeting with President Biden will be virtual. Taoiseach Mihal Martin joins us now from Dublin. Good morning to you.
9: Good morning, Margaret.
1: Great to talk to you. Great to have you here. The Biden administration has renewed that ban on travel from Europe, including Ireland. And I wonder, uh, given progress with the pandemic, do you expect it to be lifted perhaps this summer?
9: Well, that depends and, um, you know, we're we're similarly uh, have significant restrictions on travel um, into Ireland and indeed um, across Europe. Uh, As the vaccination programme rolls out, I believe opportunities will arise, but it's just far too early to say yet, and particularly in the context of the summer, uh, we have a significant journey still to go in terms of vaccinations um, and in terms of keeping the virus down. Uh, Because as you know, um, in some member States of the European Union now, the numbers are going back up uh, because of the prevalence of the B117 UK variant, which is much more transmissible.
1: You just uh, gestured to the fact that the EU is, is significantly behind in vaccinating its own citizens, and that includes um, your constituents. When you meet with President Biden this week, will you ask him for vaccine supply from the U.S. stockpile, since that's a big issue?
9: Well, I think I'm not aware of too many countries that are giving their vaccines um, away. I think more critically, we will obviously discuss COVID, and we'll discuss. Uh, vaccination. The critical point, I think, for all of us to, to bear in mind is the fact that uh, th- this is a joint enterprise in terms of vaccine development and vaccine production. Uh, these companies, J&J, Moderna, Pfizer-BioNTech, um, AstraZeneca, they're all partnerships between U.S. Uh, and European companies um, and involve companies that have global, uh, integrated global supply chains. Uh, so different component parts of vaccines are, are, are developed in different parts of the world.
1: Well, The New York Times reported that the Biden administration had denied a request from the European Union to loan out AstraZeneca and Johnson and & Johnson vaccine doses to the EU. Will you ask President Biden to reconsider that?
9: Well, I think the, that, whole, that whole issue around AstraZeneca, there's been significant difficulties between AstraZeneca and Europe in terms of AstraZeneca fulfilling its contractual commitments uh, to Europe, uh, and they haven't been in a position to do that and have fallen very far short of what they committed um, to Europe. But, as I say, you know, I'm not preempting any discussions I will have uh, in in detail with the president, but obviously the broader COVID uh, vaccination uh, issue will, of course, be discussed.
1: TENSIONS HAVE BEEN SPIKING IN NORTHERN IRELAND. AS YOU KNOW, Uh, THE BRITISH GOVERNMENT HAS NOT BEEN HONORING ALL THE TERMS OF ITS DIVORCE FROM THE EUROPEAN UNION. Uh, NOW YOU ALSO HAVE NORTHERN IRISH PARAMILITARY GROUPS SAYING THEY'RE TEMPORARILY WITHDRAWING SUPPORT uh, FOR uh, THE GOOD FRIDAY PEACE AGREEMENT DUE TO OTHER COMPLICATIONS. ARE YOU GOING TO ASK PRESIDENT BIDEN TO INTERVENE OR APPOINT AN ENVOY?
9: Well, first of all, I will be thanking President Biden uh, for his steadfast support of the Good Friday Agreement and uh, of peace in in Ireland. Uh, And I'll also be thanking the Friends of Ireland and the the Vice President and Speaker Nancy Pelosi uh, for the consistency. Uh, of their support for peace um, in Ireland. Uh, and that has been positive in terms of influencing, you know, the, the journey of Brexit itself. And we knew—you we, know, we knew Brexit would create challenges, uh, would—and uh, it, and it has. It, it hasn't been easy. Uh, and Brexit is only two and a half months old uh, since Britain has formally now exited the European Union.
1: Do you need U.S. help with that?
9: Yes, we we want to see a continuation of the the president's interest in Ireland and support of the peace process and the Good Friday Agreement, uh, and also of um, upholding uh, the the Brexit agreement itself. And um, I've no doubt that the president will continue that interest and will uh, use uh, his good offices and the administration's good offices to bring the right outcomes here.
1: Is that a nice way of saying you need him to lean on Boris Johnson to stick by his commitments? Because as a candidate, Joe Biden said... uh, Uh, The U.K. wouldn't get a trade deal unless they honored the peace deal.
9: Yeah, and, and in fairness, as I've said, the support of, uh, of um, President Biden uh, in recent times and throughout the years has been influential, and it's been effective. Um, you know, We also, in Ireland here, have to work on a post-Brexit relationship with the United Kingdom, and we're doing that, and I get on well with uh, 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 Prime Minister Boris Johnson, uh, and we will be working out issues uh, post-Brexit. We have to develop a stronger structure now for British-Irish relationships in the aftermath of Britain leaving the European Union. Uh, but part of that whole relationship is the U.S. Uh, engagement and connection, because, I'm, uh, having been involved at the time of the signing of the Good Friday Agreement, I'm under no illusions about the significance of the American involvement and engagement with all sides um, and all traditions uh, and all perspectives on the island of Ireland and with the United Kingdom. Uh,
1: Any indication if President Biden will visit Ireland in June?
9: Uh, Not yet, but um, when I spoke to him in um, November, I invited him uh, to to Ireland, and he just said to me, try and keep me out. Uh, (laughs) So, uh, that that means it's a live possibility. (laughs) At any stage, it's a live possibility that President Biden could arrive on our shores. And I can tell you, he uh, will be most welcome, um, because we really appreciate the warmth um, that he has for Ireland.
1: All right. Uh, Tisha. Thank you very much for your time. Happy St. Patrick's Day.
9: Happy St. Patrick's Day, Margaret. Thank you. We'll
1: be right back.
6: Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't
8: get any better than this.
6: Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes.
7: There really is no place like home.
6: And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place.
1: On our latest Facing Forward podcast, I spoke with Sally Krawcheck, CEO of Elevest, who says the pandemic has wiped out decades of economic progress for women and old gender roles are coming back. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform until next week for Face the Nation. I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, Chair of the White House COVID Equity Health Task Force, Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith, former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb, and the Prime Minister of Ireland, Michal Martin. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also broadcast on our digital network, CBSN.
0: If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at
10: wondery.com survey. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds, but none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Millie Vanilli set the world on fire. But when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It On The Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It On The Fame early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News
6: business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast